Welcome to the Batflip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Today is episode number 205 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, and edition number 109 of Bubba and the Batflip. Bubba and I are shifting gears from our review podcast now to our preview podcast. So instead of looking back at the 2021 season and trying to figure out what some lessons are that we can glean from that, We are now firmly looking forward to 2022 um, to figure out how how we're going to tackle each position, what's the strategy, what do we think about different guys going in different places, later round targets, middle round targets, uh, the top 10 for each position. So it should be a lot of fun. Uh, This is our catcher position, so it should be the most fun of all the the, uh, preview podcasts that we do for sure. As always, if you enjoy the pod, please do leave a rating and review. You can reach me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. You can reach Bubba on Twitter at BDNTrek. Let's get these preview party started. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the BatFlip, episode 109, your 2022 catcher preview. Yes, I did not stutter. We are ready to start previewing the positions for your 2022 fantasy baseball season and of course we start with the most important position of them all the catcher's position the most talked about position out there so we'll we'll give you strategies we'll talk some adp some later targets some great listener questions and much much more but before we do that you can find me on twitter at bdntrick and my co-host is always the batflip portion of the podcast on twitter at batflip crazy toby how we doing man um we are doing well you know i always love to talk about um about catchers so i'm very excited for today i'm like i'm deep i'm deep in it um i've got two i guess technically three drafts ongoing and i may i'm probably going to make a pick during during this this podcast um you know i'm i'm in a league and michael Simeone. i'm not sure if he knows how to not auto draft (laughs) bubba have you checked in with him if he knows whether or not to auto draft, I don't know if the guy goes to bed at like 8 PM and wakes up at noon or what the story is, but I, I, don't, I don't know. know. Do you know? I don't know. He's sandwiched right between the two of us. So <laughs> I, I don't know, but maybe he's it, intimidated. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe he's just like, I, these guys I, are going to snipe me. So I'm just going to put four names out there and see what happens. I don't know. For sure. Yeah. But, I uh, guess I've heard Mike Curlin's doing the same thing. He's not as close to me in the draft order, but no, um, anyways, that one doesn't feel like a draft. Uh, yeah. But the other two are, are are going well. I'm just kidding, of course. I, w- I wanted to make sure I gave him a hard time because um, because he's auto drafted many times. Uh, yeah, it, it, but it's a good point you make compared to like the other drafts we've done. This one's kind of like do do. It's kind of going, and it is what it is, but. I had like three going at once, and now all I have left is that one. And I told myself I'm going to kind of take a break till February. Of course, Zach Waxman sends me an invite to something that's going to start shortly. So that that didn't last as long as I wanted to. But I'm not signing up for anything that I didn't already agree upon type deal. Like this was agreed upon. So we're going to do it's Battle of the Pods are starting up here shortly. 
But um, yeah, it's gonna. I'm trying to to slowly take a little breather before I go hard again. Obviously, you just you're jumped in now, so it's good to good to hear. And now we'll uh, we'll really be able to get to your thoughts compared to my thoughts on the wackiness of uh, draft season. And you, I can't wait to hear your because you said you're a pick like 140 ish, 138 or something. Um, yeah, I can't wait for about 200 picks from now for you. Like it's it's. Uh, I'm, I'm there in other drafts too. Uh, um like yeah post round 40 it's it's i I was looking at player shares today and zach waxman has a book on all of us it's safe to say my book's pretty simple yeah same targets everywhere yeah you know i I was telling bubba before we started that i'm in a draft and i'm at pick 138 and i mean the draft started off nice i mean i really like my team a lot um what i start off with i started off I wasn't intending to really go heavy pitching, but it worked out that way. I went Harper, Wheeler, Iglesias, O'Neal, Cease, and then Gaussman was available in the sixth. And, you know, it just was too good. It was too good. So I didn't pass that. I, I didn't pass it up. But, but you know, a lot of the speed has gone quicker than it's gone in previous drafts. And so I kind of was left. I got who I wanted in the next round, Cabrian Hayes. Um, but I got to my pick and I, there just wasn't anybody. It was, did somebody, Dairy Queen? Dairy Queen. Uh, yeah. Um, somebody said Dairy Queen in the chat and that has got, it has captured my attention. DQ on Nick Pollock for sure. It's Joined an inside, uh, it's the first pitcher. Yeah. The first pitcher is on a joke Queen. right there. Yep. People who know the podcast know that I, I adore Dairy Queen. Uh, blizzard with extra 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 Reese's peanut butter cups in it just tell them just like load up but I just got to my pick and I just didn't like anything that was there like I could have taken you know my sheet was telling me like Votto was you know one of the better picks at that spot but first base is kind of deep and I don't know I don't know how I feel about Votto this year I already have Hoskins in two leagues so he was another potential option there that I kind of liked, and I was leaning towards him. There was a lot of really good starting pitchers, but I already had, I already have three, like, you know, at least like at worst SP2s, I feel like. And so I didn't want to do there. I needed to, you know, make up a little ground and hitting. And I ended up falling back on um, you know, we'll hopefully stay with the Braves and be fantastic and steal bases and hit home runs and have a good batting average. But I don't, I don't like the pick and I shouldn't say that I pick one thirty eight, but I didn't like it. Who'd you fall back on? You froze it for a minute. Oh, I did. Uh, Eddie Rosario. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Well, that'll be a, did you, am I still frozen? Yeah. You're, you're off and on right now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm curious to see where he signs. I've been hesitant. I'm off on, off and on. It's yeah. like Dairy Queen. Yes, there you go. Um, but yeah, you're having a little bit of a technical issue with your internet over there right now. Um, yeah. But am I, am I still doing? Am I still right now? Yeah. Yes, you are. I should move it. Do whatever you prefer. Whatever you want. All right. This could be the first time in the history of the pod that you get a tour of my house. <laughs> We get a tour of Toby's big house, time. but all right, I'm gonna move then. All right, if, if we're well, getting Toby really moves, bad, we'll talk what he mentioned. Really there. We have a, a guest here. in the chat right now, Mr. Nick Pollock. PitchCon coming up later this month. It's uh, next week. We have PitchCon coming your way. I know I'm 
panel with Joe Pisapia and Matt Williams. Uh, Toby, I forget who he's on the panel with, but he's on another panel. Nando Defino and um, Bogman, I think. Or no, Chris Bogman Welsh. And Nando Chris, Welsh Chris Welsh, there you go. One of the ITL boys. So uh, yeah, that's yeah. going to be pretty sweet as well. So make sure you guys check out PitchCon. Uh, go to PitcherList.com. They have the whole link to PitchCon there. You can donate uh, great prizes, great money, charity, all that good stuff. Helping the people at PitcherList.com to uh, do bigger and better things. Um, sorry, I guess I'm ruining it because Nick says he's got a video coming out on Thursday. Well, maybe you should folk, you know, d- don't you gotta say these things. Oh, you gotta say these shoot. things. Nobody no. listens to the show, so it's okay. Oh. <laughs> no, sorry, Nick. Internet here. Yeah. Oh, hey shit. Nick, it's okay. It's okay, Nick. Nobody listens to the show. We're okay. Shut it, shut it down. Shut down the podcast. Quick. <laughs> quick, oh. quick, quick. All right. Oh Toby's man, I'm navigating really, the house. I'm sorry, Nick. I'm really sorry. Yeah, we this is the worst that. podcast you've ever heard, guys. These are lies. We're just making this all up. We're just, we're just yeah, it's making all, all it's, this crap up. It's it's all ad, it's all ad living just to get Toby set up again. This is all we're doing. This is what pros do. This is all, all right. it's all lies. So let's give this a go. All right. Sorry about let's, that, guys. No problem. Let's right. let's talk catchers. Yeah, Toby's situated. He's good. There's nothing going on next weekend. Nothing that we won't know until Thursday when the video is released. So just pretend none of that happened. Um, hey, Toby, it wasn't your fault. I, I, I led. I kept going. But uh, let's talk catchers. Let's let's forget about pitchers. There, there's it's a different position. They 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 catch the ball from the pitcher, but we don't care about that. We want the defense. We want the, the offense here. So what's your strategy on drafting catchers in the 2022 season? I'm so tilted right now. That draft pick and now. Uh, all right let's see what are we talking about catchers yeah um, all right no this is super funny this is super interesting (laughs) maybe if you're my strategy on catchers i think this year is going to be entirely different than it's been in past years i think really yeah i think it's going to be kind of different a little bit um i just think like when i look at my sheet when i look at when I look at, at, at the catcher position, just everybody just screams as a value on, on my sheet. And for folks who are new to the pod, like when I talk about my sheet, I'm talking about my spreadsheet that's created by Tanner Bell, smart fantasy BB would highly recommend getting the spreadsheet, but you take your projections and you can adapt them how you want and you plug them in and they give you your dollar values. And um, they're based on, it's based on SGP standing game points. And so in my spreadsheet, there's so many values at catcher. It's kind of like a pick your poison a little bit. And what's, what's weird is that JTR is actually one of the worst values. He's still really? a value. He's still a value. So like, I mean, Sal Perez, like I think Sal Perez is kind of on a, on just an Island by himself. He's such a value and he's so high up in the draft. It's absolutely ridiculous. And we'll get to that in a second. JTR is kind of, is kind of iffy a little bit. And I think the thing with JTR is, you know, you got him and you have Varsho who have relatively similar pro- profiles. Obviously, you have the track record of JTR, but you got like the little, the stolen base power, decent batting average for both of them. At least the contact skills look there for Varsho. So it's just, it's just, a, it's interesting. I mean, I still want to get one good catcher for sure, but I think I'm a little less focused on getting two uh, towards the top end there. And there's some, there's some available in the middle rounds that I think are, are are some pretty nice like catcher twos that are pretty solid 
So I think my strategy is a little bit different than it has been in past years. I think I'm a little less focused on getting two really high quality catchers. And I'm a little bit more focused on the particular value um, as it is, because I think as we, as you see, you'll see with the catcher pockets, like there's kind of Sal and then there's a few other guys kind of in, in between. And then once you get to a certain point, there's just such a small difference between all of them. It's kind of just wait around and get the last guy that's available. Um, the guy that drops the guy that, you know, is there because they have relatively similar profiles, you know, like 240, you know, 250. 15 home runs, you know, 50, 50 runs in RBI. So decent for a catcher, nothing, not going to hurt you anywhere, but, and, and I don't see a ton of like breakout potential in a lot of these guys, honestly. So anyways, that's kind of my strategy. It's different than most uh, than I think it's going to, than it has been in previous years, just being dictated by the player pool as it looks right now. And the fact that, you know, the guy like JTR who in the past would have been further up, further up there because of what he's able to provide doesn't necessarily provide, you know, from a projection standpoint, doesn't appear to provide the same level of stuff. And then he's got kind of a young whippersnapper like coming up behind him, you know, who maybe provides something a little bit similar. And from an opportunity cost perspective, it's a pretty significant difference there. So I don't know. That's kind of how I'm feeling about the catcher position in general. How about you? Yeah, it's it's kind of the same as it's been for me in past years because I've never reached for uh, like Salvi or JT. I've had Salvi in the past, but we didn't have to reach. He felt like at least round six or seven most most of the time. So I was like, okay, this is a, this is a kind of comfort zone. Um, I'm still trying to get kind of one of the big guys. I seem to find myself with either a lot of Varsho or Grandall, at least one of the two in most drafts. I will say this much. I'm probably more aggressive in these draft and hold formats because I want the at-bats locked in that I have in like a fab league. I wouldn't be as like, I have some, I have some Varsho and Grandal lineups in draft and hold because mm-hmm. you can almost, you can almost just plug that and go. Like I remember you had, I think JTR and Var, uh, Grandal last year, or it's like Salvi and like it, it, it allows you just to almost forget about having to, to make those decisions each week at catcher barring something crazy, which can happen at the catcher's position. But um, I think I, I try to get one of the big ones. I almost treat like closers. I want one of the big ones for the most part, and then I can wait. Like I have a slew of guys. We'll talk about them in like that, you know, fifteen to twenty or twenty-five ADP range that I have no problem as my catcher too. I kind of, I'm not comfortable just yet with two kind of just wait on guys. Like I, I don't know if I want like Omar Narvaez and Yadier as like both of my catchers. Like I'm good with like them being one of my catchers, but I'm not sure I want both of them as my catcher just yet. But um it's just something about those kind of elite ones, the top five that we'll talk about or so, just the at-bats they're going to accumulate. And we, we, I know it's like a, a, it's a talked, it's an over-talked term, accumulating at-bats, accumulating at-bats, but it's true. Like, you need to get them. It's, it's very simple stuff. And the catcher's position, barring, you know, the NLDH is going to come, and that will affect some, not all, some. You know, there's still only a handful of guys that are going to get you pretty loaded on at-bats. That's just the, the, the simple facts of it all. So I, I kind of want to get at least one of the big guys and then I'll piece it together after that. Because in Fab Leagues, we saw it last year. And I think it'll be kind of similar this year. You could stream catchers a lot last year. You, like you, for like two to three week stints. Like not every week, but like you have your Eric Haas for a couple of weeks. Then you can go and get this guy for a couple. Like you could do this throughout the season and and mix and match and actually have a feasible catcher, at least catcher two, and make it work. So I wouldn't recommend doing it for both. That'd be a headache. 
but you can definitely do it for at least one of the two positions. So that's kind of how I'm looking at it. Um, obviously, I've only done one fab league so far. As I do more fab leagues, I think I'll, I'll kind of have more of a, a basis of what I want to do because I think I want to say more so these previews are for people doing fab leagues than draft and hold leagues, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. But um, so I can only tell you kind of what I've done so far in draft and holds and how I might most likely alter it going forward. A lot can change, though. Like, um, hopefully we get spring training pretty soon and we start seeing how teams utilize the DH and what they want to do and start getting reports. But uh, I think for the most part, it'll be standard procedure for me come draft time. Um, let's talk about it. We're gonna do, like we did uh, last year, top 10 at the NFBC ADP over the last 30 days. This will be draft and hold ADP. Unless, Toby, I could going forward after this episode – we could do like OCs if you wanted to. Says that's mm. a fab format because they're gonna they're starting to crank one of those out at night right now. So yeah, we could start doing those going forward. But for this episode, it'll be draft and hold over the last thirty days, and we'll go over the top ten ADPs, and then we'll each kind of give a, a couple guys we like in the middle rounds, and then the late ADPs before we hit your listener questions up and some ADP debates. The top catcher off the board, and uh, Toby already kind of talked about him. He's kind of on an island of his own, and it's crazy. Salvador Perez. Over the last 30 days, since December 18th, he's going to pick 37 right now. Salvador Perez is an early third-round pick. Like, sure, that was kind of JTR's world in years past, but he's going almost a full round ahead of JTR now. And you mentioned he's kind of an island of his own. The guy was amazing, and like you, you probably don't expect him to hit for all the power, like 48 home runs and everything, but he's always been a decent average guy, and what he's done year in and year out is play games and get you at bats more than most catchers in baseball no matter the end line he gets you the chance so people are buying in what about you yeah i mean salvi is clearly phenomenal i mean i have him as player overall number 12 um, on my spreadsheet yeah so which is you know a considerable question real quick question for you um, cause you use on your spreadsheet, you use steamer projections right now. Cause that's all it's out, right? I have steamer projections right now. Did you yeah. update them? I updated them this morning. Okay. So I have you, updated you, them. You saw that tweet that they sent out. Yeah. Saying yeah, that they, yeah. I, they, okay, I did see, see it. Okay, cool. I mean, the thing about Salvi is it's really hard to pinpoint like anything that's problematic. Like you could be like, Oh, he chases pitches outside the zone. It's like, well, he's always chased pitches outside the zone. Um, you know, even steamers projection has him projected at two sixty. I mean, you know, he's got that one 235. He's got 260, 260, 247, 268, 235, 333, 273. His batted ball quality over the last couple of years is just uh, beyond. Like, you know, he never had a barrel rate over 10%. The last two seasons, 13.9, 16.3 last year, 74 barrels, his highest max exit velo, his highest you know, overall average exit velocity, which I don't normally look at, but like, the dude just crushes. And I mean, the thing about him is you watch him and he's just such a professional hitter. Like mm-hmm. he just, you know, he just hits the ball and that's great analysis, <laughs> but I, I find it, it really difficult to pinpoint anything that's problematic. Like his BABIP was not ridiculous. Like his home run per fly ball was relatively ridiculous you know, at 26.4, but he had 48 home runs on 74 barrels. He was just absolutely crushing the ball. And it's an, it's a total continuation of what he did during the shortened season. And so we don't have like a huge track record. We have about 800 plate appearances of him doing what he's done now, but I'm not quite sure 
why we would expect him to do worse. And then on top of it, you have a guy who literally plays every single day. He plays every single day at catcher. I think he missed two games last year, something like that. Um, like two, like he didn't play in two games. I sh- it's right in front of me. Let's see how many games. How many games did he, play? he played 161. So even in that one game, this catcher dude, just like he's Marcus Semyon behind the plate. I mean, <laughs> the dude is ridiculous and he's phenomenal. I have no problem drafting him whenever, wherever you want to draft him. I think, you know, like a broken record, like the, the challenge is going to be how you build your team around that, like from a speed perspective, you know, because I think the challenge for me is I'm going like pretty pitching heavy early on. And so I need to get my speed there too, because the speed dries up so quickly as well. So that's the only reason why I've, I've avoided him to date, but um, I, I will soon try a build with him in there and see how it all functions together because I think he's a huge advantage for anybody who drafts him. I will say it seems to be much more feasible this year with the depth of pitching. Because in years past, it felt like you had to go pocket, you had to go pocket aces. I'm not saying you, but in general, people had to go pocket aces, which then, like in your between your three three rounds, you had two two um, pitchers and you wanted to get steals. Now you can almost get one ace, punt aces. Like I've gone three or four hitters out the gate. You could, there's so many ways to do it now and still get some pretty good pitching that that makes it work. I know if, if Nick is still in the chat, he's he loves waiting on pitching, which is which is pretty fun. So um, I think it's more feasible this year than in years past where it's like you can actually make it work. I haven't tried it either. The earliest I go, I think, is probably around five-ish, give or take, for the VAR shows, Grand Dolls of the World. But I know it's it's definitely doable for sure. So I'm curious to see how that goes. Uh, while you're talking, I was looking at his bat at ball profile, and it's interesting because you mentioned the home run to fly ball increase over the last two years, the shortened season, and this season, like a big jump up to like 25%. And I was thinking, okay, I wonder what, what it was. And you mentioned the barrel rates went up. So, you know, what makes a barrel is, you know, hard hit rate and uh, or exit velocity and launch angle. And his last two years, his launch angle was lower than it's been since 2015. So it's almost like he was getting it under it too much for a while. Mm-hmm. Now he's in that sweet spot. It's creating more power and home runs. Just pure speculation. But it's just like if you're looking, because as you mentioned, there's not a lot of things that look different. Like he's just great. He hits the ball hard. He's doing this, the BABIP, so on and so forth. But it's, it's weird because most people say you need to elevate the ball more. No, he might have been elevating it too much and getting under the ball too much because he went from like an 18% launch angle down to like 14 to 15. So now it's more in that sweet spot, like line drive power type situation. And you saw, like you mentioned, some of the balls he was hitting last year were just lasers, just absolute lasers all over the place. So could be something to it. Um, and he, he said it's been what 600-something at bat, 800 at bats you mentioned. Um, that's not a small sample. So I guess that's pretty solid, especially for a catcher. Most catchers only get about 400 to 450 at bats mm-hmm. a year. He's different, but uh, it's, it is de- definitely a good sample. Like I said, I haven't drafted him yet. I don't mind if you do. I would love to wait till end of round three, round four, potentially. Don't think it's going to happen. We'll see. We'll see, though, because the old adage goes when we start getting into different drafts, maybe pitching gets pushed up even more, you know, main events. Then guys like Salvi could fall. That That's definitely a scenario that could take place. So it'll, it'll be much more entertaining. But, uh, yeah, he's he's legit. He's going to be 32 years old. Not a whole lot of complaints because this guy will play every day barring injury. I guess the biggest concern is out of all the positions to be worried about it is the catcher's position because they can get the weirdest injuries. So taking that risk is a risk, but there's a risk with everybody. So I think it's uh, it's definitely a, a very intriguing option. 
All right. Now we get to your guy, Mr. JT Realmuto. He is second catcher off the board uh, at this point in time. His ADP is 51. So he's like said, about 14 picks after uh, Salvador Perez, which, you know, still 51 is pretty high. Like that would have been probably JT's close to his ADP in years past. Salvi just jumped the ship. And even in a banged up year, Realmuto hit 17 homers and uh, stole 13 bases. So the steals was a career high, which was great to see. Power wasn't what you'd expect, but still not horrible. Like 17 and 13. If he gets healthy, maybe 22-ish, 15 hits for average. The dude's great. There's really no complaints with JTR. You just, like you mentioned, uh, Salvius just jumped him is the biggest thing. Yeah, totally. And the thing with JTR is he makes the build so much easier because you get that speed from the catcher position. Again, you know, not anything groundbreaking necessarily. The one quibble that I'd have a little bit with his projection, you know, if you look at his last six seasons, 303, 278, 277, 275, 266, 263. Um, so it is on a downward trajectory, that Brad batting average, but he's projected for 251. So if you were to change that and bump that closer to where he's been the last couple of years, you know, he'd be more, even more of a value than he is right now. You know, I think the thing with JTR to consider as well, and again, I talked a little trash about him you know, maybe because it was like a hot take for me or something. But now I like think about all the things that could go right for him. Like he can play first base, you know, or he can play DH. Like they can move him in if the NL does have the DH. And so I think there's some value for him there. There's potential, you know, improvement on that um, on that projection with the batting average as well, which I don't think is outlandish. <clears throat> the home runs, you know, he did have a nice barrel rate. He only had... He had 30 barrels last year, 8.6% barrel rate, but still pretty solid, you know, in, in a little bit of a downward trend in terms of the max exit below, but he is older and he's a catcher. I mean, he's 30, so he's not that Didn't old. Didn't he have a hand or a wrist injury too? He did. He had, he, there was something bothering him right his from thumb, the get go. Yeah. I remember he broke his thumb, I think during spring yeah. training last year, yep. man, this is just a lot of reasons why you want to draft JT Real Muto. Yep. I think now is what it's becoming. Darn. Um, well, maybe you should draft JT Realmuto. Maybe you should draft Sal and JTR, and then you get your steals and you also get them. Man, uh, he's good, he's good. I like him, I like him a lot. Yeah, no, it was a short, it was a short lived, it's a short lived falling out with JTR. <laughs> yeah, I knew it wouldn't take much to get Toby back to his man. It, it was, it was so simple. Um, and the fun thing is when you do look at these projections, you can kind of you know, they talk about the process. Um, Alexander Chase had a nice Twitter thread about it on uh, Tuesday as well, kind of looking at projections. But what you have to really look at is when you have to predict playing time, and that can affect the projection, obviously. And um, we'll talk about a guy coming up here where I've already wrote an article about how the projection needs to change the playing time. But, you know, if just say, you know, the, the, technically this is a new steamer with the uh, projections for a DH. That's what they said. So even with the DH, they're only projecting them for 129 games. I'm sorry, but if there's a DH, I think he's playing more towards that 2019 season of 145. Like, mm. there's no reason they won't have their cleanup hitter or number five hitter in that lineup every chance they can. Like, there's no reason they wouldn't. So I'd, I'd, I'd beg to differ, and that's kind of where you have to sit there and trust the systems. The systems are really, really good. They're there for a reason, but then you use your own little intuition to kind of alter things. And I believe on your model, Toby, from, uh, Tanner, Bell, you can, can't you format things the way you want? It'll spit out different. Can't you like yeah, change projections you, and stuff? 
Yeah, you can change, you can enter whichever projections you want to. So some people like um, some people aggregate projections. So they'll take multiple projection systems, aggregate them together to spit out one projection. That's an average of all of them, or they'll weight them, you know? And one of the things is Jeff Zimmerman put out a great article where just looking at kind of how the projections fared last year. And there were some key trends. Like I think ATC performed the best on plate appearances, but when it came to like skill stats or, and ratios, uh, the bat X, uh, perform the best. And so you can kind of look at those and weight them. And I know Ariel does some of that already within ATC, but you can do that and then, you know, um, aggregate that projection and put it into the system. What the system, what the spreadsheet really does is just, um, determine like what the, how many SGPs there were each worth, each worth like standing game points. And then based on that, they, it spits out a dollar value for you. Um, and it's, yeah. Oh, sorry. And speaking of the bad X, uh, Derek Cardi posted on Twitter that's coming, I think, sometime this week. So, yeah, yeah, that'll be really that. cool. I like the bad X. And that's one thing that I've thought about doing is is doing ATC for the plate appearances and and bad X for um, for ratios, you know. But I've got to become smart enough with Excel to figure out how to do that with without like it taking just a ton of time. Um, I bet you could figure it out. We'll um, see. The number three catcher off the board here, and this is kind of the top three. Going off the board, Will Smith going to pick 67. So you got three guys inside the top 67, three guys within the top like four and a half rounds. And Will Smith is is a fun one because he's another guy. They only have him projected for 104 games. And again, I'm sorry, but 130 last year. I'd imagine with the DH, he still sees at least 130 plus, 140-ish, give or take. But um, the hit tool is legit. He can crush it, doesn't steal a ton of bags. That's kind of the difference between him and JTR. He's more of like a Salvi light than a JTR light to me. Uh, situation a little lighter batting average but great uh plate discipline he's a very very good young hitter um i don't have any shares because it's like i'm either gonna go get one of the big dogs or i'm gonna wait like i said before to the next couple guys but i have no problem if you do like wolves but he's just he's just not on my my radar i got other things i'm picking at that point in time yeah um i agree i mean i think last year was like a very fair season for will smith if i were drafting will smith I would expect pretty similar to what you got last year. I mean, from the base skill perspective, he's got elite plate discipline, um, borderline elite contact. I mean, he makes a ton of contact. So the strikeout rate gets low. The batting average stays fairly low because, you know, the bat, because he hits a ton of ground, uh, very few ground balls. He hits a ton of fly balls. So, you know, when he hits the ball in the ballpark, chances are it's going to be, uh, more often than not, well, not more often than not, because that would be a 500%. That would be a 499 Babbitt, but um, he hits a lot of fly balls. And so he's going to have a, a low Babbitt um, for that reason. So don't go looking at the Babbitt and saying, oh, well, if I regress that to league average, then, you know, that's what he'll end up with. You know, he's got 276 for his career. And so I think that's pretty fair for what he's doing. You know, the home run per fly ball is right in line with what his career average is, particularly when you factor in the deadening of the ball as well. Uh, he had 25 home runs and he had 35 barrels. So again, there's nothing that's jumping out as being kind of out of the ordinary. So I think similar to what, you know, steamer has a little bit of a plate appearance downgrade for Smith, like you mentioned, but you know, if you were to kind of extrapolate that from the, you know, 104 games that's being projected by steamer to the 130 games, particularly with the NLDH, then I think you're looking at a replica of what he did last year, which is a very strong season. Um, 
you know, strong season. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, again, not sure I'm there, but uh, he's very, very good. I know there's some big, big time Will Smith believers, but uh, when you are drafting, make sure you take the Dodgers Will Smith, not the um, other Will Smith. Otherwise, you'll be regretting that early pick on him. <laughs> For uh, what it's worth, Will Smith is actually not a value in my spreadsheet. Evan yeah, is the hundredth most valuable player, and he is going seventies. Well, mine says sixty-seven, but I know ours is slightly different from that now. Okay. Uh, the fourth catcher off the board, like I said earlier, this is a guy I'm quite a few shares of. Is uh, Dalton Varsho? He's going to pick ninety-nine, and I know it's like you're either all in or you're all out on Dalton Varsho. You either believe him or you don't. Last year we had the same conversation on him, and it didn't quite <laughs> pan out. Didn't quite pan. I out. drafted him everywhere last yeah. year. Didn't quite pan out the way we thought, but I think this year, from what we saw to end last season, gives me a lot more hope. Um, he was playing almost every day. He was crushing it. Like they had him lead off a lot. He was playing very, very well. He started to get comfortable at the plate. Shocking you let a young player play every day. It's amazing what he can do once he plays every day. And the beautiful thing is he's going to probably play the outfield majority of the time, but he's still going to be the backup catcher for Carson Kelly. So he's going to keep catcher eligibility, um, which for us, he's going to have it no matter what. But if you're a dynasty player, he should still keep it, which is going to be very, very good. But he's going to play a ton. That's one thing is I have a big complaint. Um, they upped it to 102. When I wrote my article on, on Dalton Varsho, they have 102 games now with the update. I think they had it for like 94 games. And I'm like, I'm sorry. If he's playing the outfield, he's playing way more than 94 games. So like, if you look at his steamer 600, I don't have it pulled up at the moment. But um, I, when I wrote about it, he's basically, if you look at the steamer 600 projections for all catchers, he was uh, second home runs, second stolen bases, both behind JTR. Uh, I think he was third in batting average. What about Salvi? Salvi's got more homers. Maybe Salvi. Maybe he's behind Salvi and homers. He might have been more than than Rio Muto, but he's behind Rio Muto and stolen bases. He was like second or third in runs, second or third in RBIs. He was basically right up there with all of them. Like start justify it justified kind of okay. Mm -hmm. That's why he's going fourth out of catchers. Obviously, a lot can still change, but he's supposed to play basically every day, and he can run. If you look at his sprint speeds, the dude he's got like the same speeds as Adalberto Mondesi. Mookie Betts, which is insane to think about. JTR is right above him. He's second to JTR at all catchers, <laughs> um, which which Man. is awesome to see. But um, so like it checks the box when like you compare, you can get JTR at pick fifty one, you get Varsho at ninety nine, and it's like I still think JTR is better. Don't get me wrong, but forty picks, forty five, almost fifty picks. Now what's the opportunity cost type conversation? So like if you look at my player shares, I think I've done like eight drafts, finished eight drafts. I think I have like four or five Varshows. Let's just say the first three, three or four drafts, I did not draft Dalton Varsh. I've had him in every one since then. Once I did my research and started digging in some more, so I have a bias potentially, which could be a problem. But I believe as long as he's playing every day, which he should, he's going to produce. He's got the pedigree. He's done it before. I'm a believer in Dalton Varsho. You can tell me I'm wrong. What's your thoughts on Dalton Varsho? You know, it'd be hot, Bubba. Would be a JTR Varsho. You'd have catcher like one and catcher 30 two. stolen bases oh from your catcher. God. Oh, man. You could do it. You that do would it. be something else. I want to, you know, those like split jerseys that they have, you know, that are like half of one team and half another team, which are like sacrilegious. I want, I want one of those. So all you people listening out there, I want one of those jerseys, but half of it is Dalton Varsho and half of it is JT Brown Muto. Uh, somebody make that happen, please. I will be forever in your debt. Um, no, I mean, you're, you're right. And actually, you know, uh, on this, on your very podcast, um, Steve Weimer, who is a very, 
good um, fantasy baseball player. And I very much enjoyed the show that you had with him. You know, he was mentioning just uh, bumping the projection up to 500 plate appearances and how valuable that made bar show. And the thing is, and I, and I think the thing is, if you look at the skills, right? Like if you're like, okay, why is Varsho going to be successful? Why is he not going to be successful? So let's just take a look. I mean, from a plate, just a plate skills perspective, you know, the O swing is a little high, but the contact rate is better than league average, right? He's got a 77.6. So he's better than league average there. The O swing does not appear to be problematic because I mean, he had a nine and a half percent walk rate. He had, you know, in his career, he's got a 9.8% walk rate. He walked uh, at uh, above 8% at every single stop, you know, in the minors. So that's at least a little bit a part of his, his skill profile. So just from like a base skills perspective, that's solid. When you look at his batted brawl profile, it's exactly what you want to see, right? You got a lower line drive rate around 36, uh, lower ground ball rate around 36%. So not super low where you're going to really detract from the batting average and the BABIP. Um, but, you know, not um, uh, not a super high ground ball rate where you're not going to hit for power. Now, he does have a little bit of an infield fly ball issue, which just really means he's popping up the ball a little bit too much, which may keep that BABIP a little bit low. You know, the home run per fly ball is rate is reasonable, but then you look at like max exit below, you know, 109.5, 110.9. So he's better than league average in that respect. He had 16 barrels last year. And remember, he started off slow last year as well. Yeah, big time. 16 barrels, you know, 7.3% barrels rate, barrel rate, right? You know, so you're looking at a guy who, like you mentioned, he's fast. He's going to steal. He doesn't have a ton of competition with the diamondbacks. He's got multiple positions that he can play in terms of center field. And then he can also catch. So they've got multiple ways to work him into the lineup. They're also going to have the DH as well. So there's just a lot of different ways that he can kind of plug into the lineup. And then, and so you're talking about a guy who is like a 2010 guy, you know, over 500 plate appearances. And if that's what he produces, like you mentioned before, like that's like a typical, JTR season. Now we don't have the track record and he doesn't have the batting average quite yet of JTR, but I mean, it's still really nice and he's young and he can improve. And I really do like him. I've kind of been like in love with him and then not. And I think I'm back to it. I think I'm back to it. Man, I'm falling in love with all the catchers all over again. Yep. I knew this would happen. I knew it. This is Toby's position. Yeah, I tweeted out talking catcher blues and <laughs> for reals. Yeah, I pulled up the Steamer 600 just for fun. Varsha, 254, 23 homers, 11 stolen bases, 74 and 78. Uh, Rio Muto, they have him for 251, so just below him, 17 homers, uh, seven steals, which I, I think he'll have more than that, uh, 55 runs and 61 RBI. So he beats him in every category, which I don't see that happening, but I'm just saying – it's closer than I think people think is what, what the, the reality is. Like you have to take everything with a, a grain of salt type situation, but as long as they let him play, which they have no reason not to, they have zero reason not to let him have a full season out there. And that's what I'm intrigued by with Dalton Marshall. So, Oh, guess what, Bubba? Big news. Yes. Uh, Michael Simeone uh, timed out. 
So he audio auto picked. So it's my turn here. Wait, so he auto picks right. without setting it up to auto. He just runs out the clock. He just runs out the clock. Yeah. Oh, dude. Does that mean, that's, you yeah, know what that means? Doing that. that Every means night. Goes, but that Michael means goes, and I, I don't mean to give you, I don't mean to slander you. Michael knows that I, I'm a fan of his and his work. And uh, we met in first pitch Arizona. He's a great guy. So I'm just giving him a hard time. But that but, means um, he that means he logs in and turns the auto off every time to do it again. <laughs> wow, Bubba! The more you say it, the more, the more, um, uh, the more. Uh, now I've got to think about whether I need to at him in in the tweet that I send out about the podcast. Like, I, I think you know, you will should. I think will he fun. will he draft? Will he ever pick? Um, so I'm at pick six eleven here, guys. Really up against the ropes here. Um, I'm a little light, if I'm honest, on pitching just because uh, of my strategy. Um, so I might be, I might do something a little controversial here. Not everybody will agree with this move, but um, I think I'm going to draft Jose Quintana. He's going to get you innings. Is everybody okay with that? I'm going to draft Jose Quintana I'm okay with right it. here. Go ahead and draft him. We're going to do it. I'm going to draft Jose, Jose Quintana right after uh, Michael Simeone auto drafts. I'm going to go with Jose Quintana. There you Boom. go. It's done. The pick's been made. That's why you guys tune into this show to listen to, to watch me pick Jose Quintana in round 41. Oh, hey, those, those pirates, I mean, they know how to work their pitchers. Yeah, they're going to trade they're, them somewhere. They got, so decent, you're good. they got decent pitching, and I think they can make it work. You showed flashes, you know? So, anyways. It's definitely possible. Definitely possible. Yeah. All right, let's go to the fifth catcher off the board. Uh, another stud, uh, a friendly person to the show uh helped toby win some uh leagues or cash last year and other years guys money grandall going off the board to pick 110 right now obp leagues he's an absolute monster but still finished last year with 23 home runs hit 240 which for those that remember that 240 is darn impressive after that start to the season where he's hitting like below 200 he uh really really put it together and that once he returned from injury in the late second half of the season had a monster uh run in the second half but 23 homers uh, he's not going to ever really steal your bags, but going to hit in the middle of that order and struck out 21.9% of the time, walked 23.2% mm. of the time. That mm. is insanity that he did that. So I love Grandall. I'm a huge Grandall fan. Um, he probably won't help you on average, even if he has a good season, like 250-ish, but I love Yosemite Grandall. Yeah, I mean, I love him too. And I'm actually like a little, you know, in my in this draft that I'm in right now, I actually had a chance to go Varsho Grandall. And I didn't go with it. I mean, I think, I think I'm, I'm fine with, with, um, with that decision. I mean, with, with Grendel, I mean, last year was so bizarre. Like he was hitting whatever 130 or 140. He had more, more walks, more home runs than walk than, than singles. And just, it was crazy. And then everything flipped around. I, I think with Grandal, I mean, I love him. Like he's a great pick. If you, if I, if I'm looking just from a pure value perspective on my sheet, he's the number three catcher, ranked 76. His ADP right now, at least on my spreadsheet, is 112. I haven't updated it recently, so yours is more updated. Um, I think the thing with Grandal from last year, like the plate discipline got better, even though he was one of the best in the league. 18.7 percent O swing. You know, the contact rate was up. You know, really 2021 stands out as kind of an anomaly a little bit in terms of a decrease in his contact rate. So that was up, which is nice. You talk about him being a batting average liability, not you specifically, but just like people talk about him being a, a batting average liability. But 247, 241, 246, 230, 240. I mean, a catcher who hits over 240 
with more than 20 home runs with a lot of runs because he gets on base and RBI because he's in a good lineup. You know, that's, that's a pretty valuable guy. I mean, I think the home runs will come down. He had a 28.4% home run per fly ball rate last year, which is by far uh, the career high for him. So I think he was kind of overplaying his hand a little bit there. You know, the 23 home runs came on 27 barrels. So you can kind of see where there was some luck baked into that home run. So maybe that decreases that batting average a little bit, but then, you know, the bad luck on the BABIP with the 246, where he had, you know, a line drive rate that that was that was lower than usual. Um, I think that kept that a, a little bit lower. So if you bump that up a little bit, the batting average stays about the same, fewer home runs, you know, a little bit higher BABIP. But again, he's, he, and, and with the, you know, he's got the ALDH already, but you know, they can use him in that spot. They can play him at first base. If Bray ever gets hurt, you know, he's just a guy that's going to be in their lot, lineup a lot. And so I, um, I also approve of, of Yasmani Grandal. I like him a lot as well. Yep. If I have, I have nothing to add there. I think he's just absolutely awesome. So big fan of what Grandal can do as well. The sixth catcher off the board now is Wilson Contreras, and it feels so weird because he used to be one of the top like three. He's still a very good catcher. He just, I guess, the position's getting deeper, maybe, or I don't know. But last year, in, a, in kind of what felt like a down season uh, for Contreras, when you look back, wasn't that down? Twenty-one home runs, second best in his career. Five stolen bases, tied the best in his career. Ten point eight percent walk rate, best of his career. Struck out more than he's ever struck out before. Twenty-eight point six percent, but. Look at everything else. The ISO was great. Babbitt was down. The average was down. It kind of followed it. Kind of a mixed bag. And he's going to be playing for a bad Cubs team until, until he gets traded or he's going to play for him the whole time. He should benefit from the NLDH, I think, quite a bit. So, um, you know, Steamers got him for 108 games. I would up that to probably more like last year's 128-ish. I'd get him in that 125 to 130 for sure range with Contreras. Mm-hmm. He's very good. He's very, very good. I guess uh, I don't know. I just I I don't trust the Cubs enough. I guess is what it comes down to. But I, I should. He's pick one twenty two. But like I said before, I either grab Varsho, Grandal, or both. So like I kind of just skip over Contreras. Nothing wrong with him. He's just not one of my uh, top options at catcher. Yeah, I I like uh, Contreras. I already have him in one one draft. I mean, I think he's just like kind of like you know in a nice little spot there with Grandal. Um, uh, back to back. Um, yeah, the thing with Contreras, like the bat, the, the K rate was pretty elevated. I think if you look at where he's been in the past with a pretty similar contact rate, um, the, the strikeout percentage seemed a little bit higher than it should have been. You know, he had an extremely low, um, uh, line drive rate, although, you know, career wise, you know, he does that. And the reason why I mentioned the line drive rate is, you know, really the only batted ball type that I look at is ground ball, right? Because it's the most consistent and sticky year to year. So I'm really focused in on that. Whereas with line drive rate, there's generally a, a pretty decent amount of uh, variance or volatility from year to year. And so a guy's Babbitt can spike or dip, you know, based on kind of that, that, that just kind of variance that happens with the number of line drives that, that a hitter hits. And so that's why I'm kind of mentioning it a few times is just because that can oftentimes explains some of the Babbitt variants that we see um, in the game, but he was, he had good plate discipline, actually his best plate discipline uh, of his career, um, just in terms of swinging on pitches outside the zone, um, you know, 31 barrels, 11.1% barrel rate, right in line with career averages, his max exit velo was set last year, his highest average exit velo, 
was last year as well. So there's not a ton of concerns that I have with him. The batting average has been low in the past, but last year was the lowest it's been. It's not, he's not old. So I don't think the skills are diminishing. You know, he's 29, which is pretty young, especially for a catcher that has the type of uh, track record that he does. So I actually like him a, a good amount um, as kind of a catcher one target in this range. I would have Grandall above him, you know, which is really unfortunate because I think I took him above Grandall in, in the other draft that I had, um, which shame on me, but um, that happens sometimes. It does happen. It definitely happens. I've, uh, I've, I found myself having to slow down more. We have all this time, and I was like, I just want to pick. I just want to pick. And I have to start re, uh, rechecking who's on my roster, what I have, what I really believe in, and stuff like that. So it happens. It happens all the time. But, uh, yeah, nothing wrong Grandal, with Grandal went before Contreras. Okay, there so you go. Make a little justification. That. Makes yes. you feel better. But, um, yeah, I got no 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 problems with Contreras. I just seem to, you know, like I said, grab someone before him. Doesn't really work out in my draft strategy. But again, told Toby before the show, I looked at my shares from my eight drafts, and there's a, a bunch of players that if you're like Zach Wax, when I keep a book on people, he knows pretty much who I'm taking more often than not. So I might need to start differentiating when certain things come, and maybe the Fab Leagues will, will be a good way to do that. That's for sure. All right, the next catcher off the board at uh, the seventh catcher off the board at ADP 154. Seventh catcher off the board, Tyler Stevenson of the Cincinnati Reds. Big Tyler oh, Stevenson. Big guy, big guy. Big guy, real big, big guy. guy. I mean, have you, what is he, 6'5"? Big he's guy. Huge. He's got to be like 12, big 7, guy. 12 or something. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's 7, tw- he's seven twelve and like 380 pounds. Yeah, 6'4", 6'4", 225. 6'4", big 225, big boy. Big guy. Uh, played in 132 games last year, 10 home runs, hit 286, doesn't steal any bags, hit for a pretty good average throughout all the minor as well. So that's got that going for him. But the power is just kind of slowly developing. Um, he could play some first base, could benefit a bit from the DH if Joey Votto moves around and everything. I'm so torn on this guy. Like I know we talked about him. He finished well on the player radar. That's why we talked about him on on the review. He's going high. Like there's other catchers I just like over him. I, I can't uh stomach taking Tyler Stevenson at his draft cost, but maybe you've done some more digging than I have. I just I can't can't figure it out just yet. No, I mean I think we're both kind of relatively down on him compared to a lot of stuff. Let's see. Um, yeah, I mean, Steamer has him as as a pretty negative value. I think the challenge for me with Stevenson is, is the power going to play? Yep. You know, like the batting average, he's got really good contact skills. He's got really good plate discipline, 24.5% O swing, 83.2% contact rate. I mean, that's really good. But then you take a look at the hard hit rate. And for a guy his size, I mean, he's a big guy. Like, that's not what you want to have. You have a really high ground ball rate. Um, you know, as well around 50%, you know, he had a 333 Babbitt last year. Is that sustainable? You know, I don't know. 286 batting average, 264 steamer only has him for 13 home runs. I think the one area where you could, you know, again, and we're saying this a lot with the catchers. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what playing time is like. You could bump up that playing projection from the 402 plate appearances that he's at right now. Um, you know, if you think he could, you know, especially with the DH and the way the Reds are playing it, you know, he could see, he could see at, uh, at bats as the DH, you know, he's going to play some catcher. He might play some first base as well. Give Votto a little bit of a, of a breather like he did last year when he was injured. So I do think that he's like all around, like a solid guy. I just don't necessarily see 
the upside. Like his max exit velo for as big as he is, is 106.6. I mean, that's like Kevin Biggio level max exit velo, which we know is not a, a thing that's you really want to say about somebody. He only had 15 barrels last year, you know, to give him those 10 home runs, 5.4% barrel rate. And we looked at this when we did the review, but like his raw power is graded at 65, but his game power, you know, is, 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 you know, kind of future value at 45. And so everywhere he's been, that power hasn't really played up. And so I think that that is just something where you maybe visually you see him and you expect more power. And I'm not sure he's done anything that will say that that should happen. Yeah. I'm with you. Like I, I just, I don't know if I'm going to take him as my first catcher. I guess if he's your catcher two, you can take the chance, but you know, it's still kind of dicey, but it's my catcher one. I, I want a little more, I guess stability is not the right word, but something I can count on a little more. That's why mm. I go earlier or I'll take the next guy, which I'm a big mm. fan of. But um, yeah, Stevenson just doesn't check the box for me just yet. So I'll have to kind of wait and see how that one plays out. But the uh, eighth catcher off the board, I'm a big fan of going around pick mm. 160. Mm. And that's Kyber Ruiz. And um, he was a big prospect for the Dodgers. That's why he was always talked up in trades. Finally went over in the Max Scherzer and Trey Turner deal. It's one of the only reasons why they can get both those players is because they gave up a talent like Kyber Ruiz with Josiah Gray and others. Uh, he's a, he's awesome. He had 16 home runs in the minors last year, three in the bigs. He's had off and on power throughout his whole time in the minors. Doesn't run at all, but uh, hits for a really, really good average for a catcher. Really good average. And some of the better plate discipline you'll find in all of baseball. Strikeout below 10% majority at the time of his career, or right around 10%. Walks a little bit, not a ton, but puts the ball in play almost all the time. Um, hits for good average, going to hit for power. Steamer's got him for 17 home runs, only 98 games. Again, I'd project him. if He's supposed to be the starting catcher in Washington. I'd have him more towards like 115 to 120 game-wise. I could be over-speculating there. I'd bump him up a little bit because I think he's going he's gonna to get at least, I'd say, two-thirds of the starts, I'd imagine. We'll mm-hmm. see. Huge Kyber Ruiz fan. Like, and they got Riley Adams there in Washington. He's a very good catcher, too. So maybe it is more 55-45-60-40. Could be totally that situation. But, again, um, the DH situation for a lot of these teams, a, p- a hitter as good as Kyber Ruiz just hit-wise fits a DH mold for a National League team that is not built to just roster like a David Ortiz at DH. So it's something to think about as well. But I, I love Kyrie Ruiz. I'm a, I'm a huge fan, and I've been trying to get him everywhere. But now people know that, and it's been harder to get him in recent drafts. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. Like the the plate discipline or the the plate profile is is pretty pretty unique. I mean, the K rate is so low, and even you know, in his short stint in the, the big leagues, you know, 96 plate appearances, he still managed to have an 88 percent you know, overall contact rate, not even in the zone, but overall contact rate. He's just not really going to strike out. You know, he did have some challenges with the chases on pitches outside the zone, you know, a little bit. Um, Let's see these minor league numbers. You know, the ground ball rate is relatively, you know, you know, it, it looks fine, a little bit elevated in the minors, not great walk rates, but again, he doesn't really K like at all, which is just, um, ridiculous, which is all to say, like, I really like him. I mean, I think if you're looking for a batting average, I definitely like him more than Stevenson. I just think that there's more power potential there and steamer agrees, you know, in that respect, you know, steamer has him in my spreadsheet again, uh, one fiftieth, uh, and he's going at an ADP of one fifty nine. So not a huge 
not a massive uh, value, but um, pretty good. And then, you know, just from, you know, we don't have enough of a, of a track record in terms of the Mac, you know, the exit velos and stuff like that. But, um, you know, just that unique profile. And like you said, getting the majority of plate appearances in, in, in Washington, I think he'll be really, I think he'll be good. I think he's a solid choice, especially if you need batting average from that position, or you're getting a little bit of a hole of batting average and you're staring down a couple 240 guys afterwards. Yeah, he helps you even if you get like bad and average drops at other positions. He's just such a an asset there. Like if you go and take a, a power bat somewhere else, but you know you're sacrificing. I'm not saying quite the Joey Gallo drop, but I'm talking about you know you got a guy you know is going to hit like more like 230 per se, and you throw but he's going to hit you 35 home runs. So throw a Kyber Ruiz in there, and you're, you're sitting pretty. That's how you kind of his roster construction and that's finest. So I love Kyber Ruiz. He kind of um, helps with a lot of situations when it comes to catcher and just uh, statistical. Um, facts that most catchers don't help you with. So big, big fan of what, what he can do with that position. All right, the ninth catcher off the board, which I have zero shares of and probably will have zero shares of the entire draft season, going around pick 199 right now, is Adley Rushman. And it's not that Adley Rushman is not good. We've seen the, the guy crush it in the minors. Never seen it in the majors, though. Never seen it at all. And uh, right now, they're, they're saying he could start this year. Roster Resource has him as a starter, but... As long as the CBA is what it is, and we'll see unless they fix the um, the years situation. Qual- um, I don't see them bringing him up early. Eric Cross, very good prospect guy, said he thinks May at the earliest is when we'll see mm-hmm. Adley Rushman. So let's take that in consideration. That's at least one month without Adley. Could be more. So for me, it's a not draft. And um, if he's great, he's great. I'll draft him, or maybe in twenty twenty three, but uh, twenty twenty two, it's just not a risk I'm willing to take. Yeah. Um, I'm in, a, I'm in a similar boat. I mean, I know that he's kind of a unique prospect, but one of the things that I really enjoyed was, um, anytime you can bring back like Matt Weeder's prospect talk. And I know this yep. is going to be triggering for Orioles, but Jeff Zimmerman brought it up. I remember being so into Matt Weeders, like so into him, you know, just like where I was just like, I mean, look at this guy. There's no way he misses. There's no way he was doing everything in the minors. He was a switch hitter. He was, he was everything. He was like really good defensively. He was everything you wanted to be and he didn't hit. And it's like, there are so many catchers where that is the case, you know, and oftentimes like, and so it's just, there's just so much risk, I think in that pick and there's certainly reward, you know, and Steamer likes Rutschman. Um, they, he's got a, a slight value, you know, rank 188. Um, but this one's more just a, a kind of cost benefit analysis, you know, at this point. It could be like if we get clearer, like if we, if we find out what the CBA is mm-hmm. and the CBA is going to open up opportunities for young guys like this and not incentivize teams to hold them down then maybe we're talking about a different you know um scenario here so clearly a very good player but it's also like i mean i don't know like his his minor league metrics and i know the prospect guys are probably going to come after me now but like i mean they're fine they're not like out of this world i mean really nice walking k rates and that's obviously impressive you know, he did really well in triple A, double A, he hit like 271, 18 home runs, which again, you know, is really good. But yeah, he's also, you know, 23. 
almost 24. So I don't know. And that's not to say again, that he's not like a really good prospect. I think everybody has him as the number one prospect. He's going to get better. All of that stuff. I just think that there's too many, too many ways that it can go a little sideways here. Yeah, That's how I am. Like, I think he's, I think he's gonna be very good someday. I'm not disagreeing with that at all, but like, I'm a big Joey Bart fan. Well, in his cups of coffee so far, he wouldn't lead you to believe he's going to crush the baseball right out the gate. Like, it, there's learning curves to this thing. Not everybody can just be Juan Soto and come out there and crush baseballs 24-7. Um, could Adley do it? Sure. But the other thing with the catcher position, again, the prospect guys might come at me for this, is it's one thing to take the leap from AAA to the majors and to hit. He also has to learn how to call a baseball game the pro yeah. way. Like, there's so many other things he has to do besides just hit. And that's one thing like Joey Bart gets a lot of criticism for the coaches still have to like baby him through calling games. Cause he's still not there yet. Like that's one thing like posing them had to really work with him on because most of these kids nowadays, they don't know how to call a game until they get drafted and then they're trying to learn it. So there's way more than just coming up and hitting a baseball and that's going to make things interesting as well. So if you want to take the chance on, I'm sure like Toby said, if they, you know, CBA comes out and they're changing things and, you know, at least I could see the argument for it. But if I already know right now he's sitting out at least a month, maybe two months or whatever, now you have to come back with getting your catchers early in a draft and hold or something, It's it, it starts to really murky the waters for you. All right. Tenth catcher off the board in ADP, Mitch Garver. Pick 203 right now. This is a fun one we kind of – I think we I think we talked about it on the review, uh, review we show. But, yeah, 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 we got a question um, about it. Yeah, he's interesting because it's like he's never really played a ton of games, but all he needs is like 95 to 100 to, to have amazing value. Hits for a decent average. Uh, he's a guy that benefits from the DH, especially if Nelson Cruz is gone, which he is. So that helps a ton. His has just always been health. Can he stay healthy? His defense is not that great. So they usually play like Jason Castro used to catch and, you know, Jeffers and these guys. They want Garver to DH for the most part if they can and catch like 50 games. Um, so that's the biggest issue with Garver. I had no problem taking him as your catcher too, if you want. Just know the the, the limits that could come into play. But um, he's not my catcher one. I'll tell you that much. But if he's your catcher two, I get it. There there is tremendous upside. If if like he has put that one season together where he played like 120 games, like my goodness, what he could do. He's never done it, so I don't know. But it could be awesome. So what's your thoughts on Mitch? Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, I think you're right. I mean, I think he's really good. I think the upside is a little bit limited by those games and played appearances. Like you mentioned, even when he was at the top of his game in 2019, he only had 359 played appearances and they were essentially alternating between him and Jason Castro, like you mentioned before. And so they, whether it's because of just how he holds up or whatever, they've kind of determined that he's not going to play every day or even two thirds um, of the plate appearances at this point, which obviously puts a little bit of a ceiling on, on what you're paying for him. And, you know, he's, he's moved up considerably from when we talked about him, I think in the review, but just some things like contact rate, it's normally pretty solid. The K rate doesn't make any sense for me, you know, with the 72% contact rate, it's slightly below league average, but his K rate last year was 29%, you know, but that plate discipline remains really, really strong. He hits a ton of home runs, 18.7% home run per fly ball, you know, for his career. So I think you're going to get those, you know, as well. Um, but again, like the counting stats are going to be limited because of the limit in the plate appearances that he has, you know, how good the twins are going to be offensively. I'm not really sure, but he has everything absolutely that you want from like a quality of contact standpoint, you know, from a plate discipline standpoint, I mean, everything is there 
but I just think that there's a little bit of a ceiling because of the number of plate appearances that he's going to play, you know, the injury history that he, that he has. Um, but you know, I think he can be really good. Yeah. He, he's, he's an interesting one. Like he's one of the first guys that I'm willing to take kind of a gamble on just because I think the risk reward situation could be tremendous. Um, lots of risk like you mentioned, but that reward is pretty juicy because even, even the year he didn't play a ton and we talked about at bats, his at bats were valuable still because what he did at the catcher's position. So it, it's a tricky one. It's definitely a tricky one. It's like, you can compare him to say Gary Sanchez. I think I probably should have put that as an ADP debate. Um, mm. There's there's a lot of similarities there. A lot of them. A lot of risk reward there. Um, Garver much better batting average. Don't get me wrong. Much better batting average. But Gary will still probably play more games. So it's what and we've seen Gary be good before. So it's one of those like interesting debates to look at. I don't want to touch Gary with a ten foot pole, but. Uh, it, it's just we, we got a, a question about whether oh, we will. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll talk Gary about him Sanchez later. I'm, catching or, or a, a red pylon. Yeah, so wow. uh, the pylon's looking juicy. Um, so we, we will ch- chat about that for sure. But let's give a couple targets we each have from ADP 11 through 20 for those listening at home. 11 through 20 is Darnold, Christian Vasquez, Alejandro Kirk, Sean Murphy, Elias Diaz, Gary Sanchez, the aforementioned, uh, Mike Zunino, Omar Narvaez, Carson <laughs> Kelly, and Yadier Molina. We're each going to give two. We'll go back and forth here. So, Toby, who is the first one in this 11 through 20 range that stands out to you as a target? Now, I first just want to mention that the guy that you chose is the guy that I wanted to choose. And you chose well, we, first, we, we so can I double up. To, I had to, like, anytime. scrape, you know. It's like when you cook eggs and you they get stuck to the bottom of the pan. pan. You got to, like, scrape it off. You know what I'm saying? Like, that oil wasn't hot enough or something. Like, what the heck? Um, so, I went out. I, I chose... Um, Travis Diarno, which is a little bit cheating because he's number 11, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So he's not that far, far out, but I have him as a huge um, value uh, ranked 146 in terms of, um, you know, uh, what his steamer projection would get. And his ADB ADP is 219, at least on my spreadsheet. Again, yours is more up to date. I think Diarno is like just the classic situation where, you know, obviously he has a checkered injury history, so you need to factor that into the equation. But like in 2020, he absolutely smashed, right? He had a 411 BABIP and a 26% home run per fly ball rate. And everything he was doing was like magic, you know, like um, uh, like that song, you know, every every little thing he does was magic, oh, you know, in 2020. Yeah, true. But um and then in 2021, it was kind of like everything that he did was pretty pretty similar, but like wasn't magic, you know? Because it's like his contact rate actually went up. So he had a 78% contact rate, which is good news. His O swing went down, which is also good news, right? So two better things, but then all of a sudden, like, you know, he doesn't have as high of a walk rate. And his K rate did drop, but his Babbitt fell to 260, you know? Um but his ground ball rate was, you know, relatively similar, a little bit higher. His home run per fly ball rate fell down closer to career average. And so it's kind of one of those situations where, you know, now he's fallen really far where the context is pretty similar, right? Like uh, he's going to catch, he can DH, you know, he can play a little bit of first base if they want to give Freddie a little bit of a breather like they have, you know, at certain points in time. Steamer hasn't projected for 493 uh, plate appearances, which may be a little high. Um, there, but like as somebody who's going, you know, after the first 10 catchers at 219, having him as your catcher one seems like a very kind of reasonable uh proposition. 
Um, you know, he does everything fine. You know, his barrel rate was again down a little bit, but still solid at 7.6%. You know, the max exit below was at 110. So essentially here's a guy who's pretty much hitting like he has, you know, at least in the last few years of his career. And he got a little bit unlucky with the BABIP this year. Um, but he should end up being, you know, when you all put it together, it's fine. And, and you have the potential for a lot more plate appearances because the Braves, when he is healthy, do like to play him a lot. Yeah, I, I like the Travis Darnold call. And he'd also, well, it depends on the Ozuna situation. And it could be a nice DH uh, pocket there with him as well. Like you mentioned, he could play first base with Freeman, as you mentioned. I, I like that call a lot. Um, it's always just been health with him. When he's healthy, he can hit. So uh, at that point of ADP, if you, if you waited on catcher, I think it's a very, very good starting point. Uh, for me, and this is the one Toby was talking about, I'm pretty sure, um, it's Elias Diaz, which we both love. So it's pretty simple to understand that. He's the 15th catcher off the board, around pick 259. Um, he's always had the pedigree to hit for average with the Pirates. Just never got to play every day. Well, last year, the Rockies started out with Dom Nunez. That worked for like a hot minute. And then it turned to the Elias Diaz show, who ended up playing 106 games for the Rockies and hit 18 home runs, which is a career high. But so was 106 games. And he hit 246, which actually he's hit 280 one year, but 246 is the second best of his career. Uh, only a 16% strikeout rate, which stood out in a big way to me. Uh, I, I think that's tremendous for a catcher. His 8.1% walk rate was the best of his career. The ISO was the best of his career. And he did this with a 249 BABIP, which was one of the lowest of his career, which for those keeping track at home is pretty wild considering Coors Field is like the highest BABIP ballpark in all of baseball. So it's, I think, leaves more room for uh, improvement for Elias Diaz, uh, which could be pretty, pretty interesting to see there because, you know, the, the, the contact metric, 7.9% barrel, second best of his career outside of the short and 2020 season in Colorado, 36.9% hard hit rate, second best of his career. Um, all these numbers are basically second best of the short and 2020 season. He's been really hitting the ball well. I love what he can do there. I don't expect 18 home runs. I'm good with like, 13, 14, like 18 would be great. I'm more expecting the batting average, which I think is going to be great. The play disciplines there. And in Colorado, you can make fun of the Rockies all you want. They're still going to score a lot of runs because it's Coors Field. So he's going to have chances to drive in runs and do some damage. So to me, he's just an outstanding – he's a good receiver of the ball. So he's going to get to catch a lot too just for defense alone, which which is big. Um, I, I just love him in Colorado. The, the, the fact – and it's, it's just it could be overstating things, but the fact is Babbitt was basically 250, and uh, in Coors Field is insanity. So I think there's a, a massive room for improvement for uh, Elias Diaz, and at his draft draft price, I think at pick 260 ish, I am all over him. I prefer him as my catcher too because I like to take a guy early. But if you really just wanted to punt, go Elias Diaz and one of these later guys we're going to talk about you could be in a worse situation. So I think it's not a bad way to go. So that would be my first guy in this range. All right. Who's your number? Who's your number two? My number two is, um, is old and boring. Yadier Molina. Um, I mean, what can you say? And the reason why I have him here and maybe I should have, maybe I should, you know, um, especially for Dave Petriozello, like maybe Carson Kelly would have been a better choice here. Um, honestly, cause I mean, he's, he's a little, he's slightly better value, but I just wanted, I mean, Molina is just so damn consistent. 
you know, like he plays a ton. He does the exact same thing. Like every single year. I mean, you just look at the skills and you look at the production and it's like, he must be the easiest projection to make because you know exactly what he's going to do, you know? And so, and I do think that there's value in, in that, um, at this point in the draft, when you're drafting like your catcher two or, or, you know, a very late catcher one in knowing like this guy's going to play, he's going to get like close to 500 plate appearances. He's going to hit 250. He's going to 250 to 250, 60. He's going to get 45 to 50 runs. He's going to hit 10 to 12 home runs. He's going to get 50 to 55 RBI. And then he's going to steal a few bases, even though he's like the slowest guy on the face of the earth. Um, and that's kind of like, it's kind of nice to be able to set it and forget it there. And at some certain points in the season, you'll be really fu- frustrated because you know, you're not going to get anything spectacular out of that position, but you know what you're going to get. And I just, you know, just a shout out to Yachty, who's been somebody I've gone after a number of years in a row as kind of a catch or two fallback. And he just continues to do what he does, which is do Yep, at, at that price point, it's tough to beat, to be honest. So, I would like one of these years, it's just going to kind of go away, and they're going to let the backup come in and learn from Yachty. But I don't think Yachty will stand for that either. So, <laughs> it'll be uh, interesting to see. So, as long as he's, you know, can play, he's going to play. So, I'm with you at that price point. To, can definitely go there. Um, my second catcher here is the 18th catcher off the board to pick 280, and that is Omar Narvaez. I've always been a big Narvaez fan. I've been met with, uh, you know, opposition from time to time because like, oh, you know, his hits, like his pull rates and this and that, it doesn't work. But what the dude does perennially is hit for average at 266 last year, 278, 275, 277, 267. Those are all in full seasons. Um, He played 123 games last year, played 132 in 2019. So he can play 11 home runs last year. Like, I don't think he's going to hit the 22 homers yet in 2019. I guess pretty simple to see, but – um, even steamers only got him for 91 games. I think he's closer to the 120. Like, I don't know why they wouldn't play him. Like Severino's there. I get it. He might get more at bats versus lefties because he does hit lefties very well. I understand that could be a potential issue. But I still think Narvaez is the number one guy there and should get majority of the starts. He can hit lefties okay, but doesn't strike out a ton, like below 20%, which to me is good for catcher. Puts the ball in play, hits for average, should play a ton. Um, I'm just a big fan of what he can get you, especially at that ADP later in the draft on a good Brewers team in a division that he's going to have a lot of nice matchups against some bad pitching staffs, get to play in a great American small park, uh, get some other nice setups like that. So Narvaez is a guy that I, I don't mind. I know there's some some of the overall outline metrics that some people don't like, but some guys, some people just prove these things. Like a 5% barrel rate, not great. I get it. 25% hard hit rate, not great. This way he's done his whole career. So I'm not looking for the power department here. He's a line drive machine. That's what one thing DVR did uh, mentioned, and one reason why his um, like barrels and all that stuff isn't as great as people would like is he's a big opposite field like base hit guy, and that zaps a lot of your power for one, and zaps like your overall stat cast metrics because if you're hitting like soft liners to left field, you're not gonna you know jump off the page type stuff. But that's a single that could drive in two runs. And so that's some pretty nice stuff. So I, I'm, a, I'm an Omar Arvaez fan, especially at such a late draft cost. All right. Now we're going to talk uh, ADP 21 and later. We're going to give a, a target or two each. So, Toby, who do you have as a later target? Well, I cheated. And I took two people. 
This is actually really difficult. I think that there's very few yeah, late round catcher great. targets. Like there are some like obvious ones, like, you know, there, but I, I didn't want to choose those. I wanted to go a little, little out, off, outside the grain. I chose two. They're on the same team and it's Austin Nola and Jorge Alfaro. Um, Nola is interesting because, you know, he's essentially, you know, a year removed from a very strong performance in 2020, but he never really got off the ground in 2021. Like he just wasn't hitting for any power. He had one barrel, um, but he was injured throughout and just never really got it going. But, you know, if he can get back, get healthy and get back to what he was doing in 2020, um, you know, and, and in 2019 as well. I mean, you know, and in, in if you combine those two, right? If he were to give you that over 400 plate appearances, you know, 270, 15 home runs, 50 runs, you know, 60 RBI, something like that. You know, um, that that would be really nice. And he has really good plate discipline. He's got really good contact skills, so the batting average is going to be high. You know, he seems to have you know, maybe the gig there. I know that they also have comp, uh, they have comp, right? Yeah. 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 So we'll see. But then the other guy that I highlighted, maybe I should have been highlighting Campusano. I don't know, but I had him in dynasty and I traded him. So whatever, (laughs) um, is, um, is Jorge Alfaro. He's kind of like an interesting wild card because he play, he's outfield and catcher eligible. The Padres definitely have a dearth of outfielders. Like if you look at their roster resource page, like I think he's the first, yeah, I think he's the first outfielder on the bench right now. And obviously that, that could easily change, but you look at like, just, you know, he mashes the ball when he makes contact, he struggles to make contact, but he actually steals bases. He had eight stolen bases last year, you know, in 311 plate appearances. He only hit four home runs, but that was with a 9.1% home run per fly ball rate, which is half of what he has for his career. So you double that and you're looking at a guy who has eight home runs and eight stolen bases and 311 plate appearances. Um, And then that starts to get a little interesting, right? Like even if you were just to replicate that, if you were to play one out of every two games, so let's say he's the backup catcher and then he rotates in, you know, a couple times a week at outfield. So he ends up getting three to four games you know, then he ends up with something similar. And I think that that can play. And I do think that there's also upside. He's moving to a new environment. You know, he had a super high ground ball rate last year, higher than he's ever had, you know, before. Um, and so I think there are ways that he could get a lot better. And then you look at the max exit below 115.7. He had 16 barrels and only four home runs, which just gives you a sense of how unlucky he was. 8.2% barrel rate. So that's all to say, like, if he can somehow find himself into the outfield rotation, in addition to being the backup or even, you know, surpassing, I should probably check, like, how good of a fielder he is. I bet he's not very good. Um, But if he can find himself doing that and playing three or four times a game, I think he can actually be, like, a potential, especially with the Padres running ways, like, he could be a 10 and 10 guy or, you know, a 10 and 5 guy or a 10 and 8 guy which, you know, he's never really struggled too badly at batting average. I don't think like it's never good, but like 244, 226, 262, 262, 318, you know? So I kind of, I kind of like it. Like I haven't drafted him anywhere yet, but 
I'm a little bit intrigued by the skill set and the potential playing time there. Yeah, Alfaro has been a guy that I've wanted for so many years when he was on the Marlins. and When he had a starting job, I loved Alfaro. And I don't disagree with any of the takes on these two catchers. I am so confused on what the Padres are going to do, though. Because you got Nola, you got Alfaro, you got Campusano, who they gave run last year, who I think they still want to see more of. They still have Vic Caratini. Like, they have so many mouths to feed a catcher. But Caratini played a lot of first base. Alfaro played the outfield. Nola's played second base, third base in the past. Like, Man, I forgot about Caratini. Yeah, like we we can oh. make fun. Remember last year we used to make fun of the Tigers because they literally had three to four catchers in the lineup every time. Like the Padres yeah. could be this team. So it's not the – I just want to see like give me a few spring training games so I see where these guys are playing. Like I'm just curious to see where it goes because when they traded for Alfaro, I was really like, what are you doing? Like, what, like, what, like you have so many catchers. But obviously they traded them for a reason. It could be the outfield like you said. So you get a – a catcher eligible guy playing the outfield because they need him. So it's going to be interesting to see for sure. Uh, I'm with you hundred percent there. I also um, forgot about Caratini. So maybe that was a bad choice. No, no, that's the thing though, is I don't think it's horrible to take a chance on that. Their prices right now, if you're willing to like, uh, cause you're only doing it in draft and holds. You're not drafting any of these guys in a redraft right now. Um, I think it's intriguing though, because any one of these guys, if two of the guys could probably pop out of the four, um, and you wouldn't be shocked. So I'm just curious to see how it kind of plays out, to say the least, because there's there's opportunity there for sure. Um, my my later guy, he's picked the 30th catcher off the board to pick 374. That's Tucker Barnhart. Um, nothing's ever really flashy about Tucker Barnhart, but what Tucker Barnhart does is he plays majority of the time. He's going to be a starting catcher for the Tigers. They traded for him for a reason. Even if they platoon him with a Haas or something, he's on the strong side of a platoon. Um, hits for like a 240 ish average, sometimes better, sometimes a little worse, usually better. Actually, he's more like 250 ish, give or take. Um, a little bit of pop, not gonna have a ton, but he's gonna play a lot, he's gonna accumulate stats for you. It's the Tigers, it's not great, but around as a 30th catcher off the board to get a more everyday type catcher, that's a big thing for me. Like, we've talked about it on this show, I've talked about like this and some other guys late in Baston Holes, you need three to four catchers at least, at least three preferably four. And so if you can get a, like a Tucker Barnard as your third, in case something goes wrong and have another guy starting is great because once you dig deeper, you don't have starters down there. So now you're, you're kind of playing with fire. So getting a Barnhart goes a long way for me, at least when, I, when I'm looking at that. All right, let's do a couple at your ADP debates. I thought were just fun because of this conversation similarities that I've heard uh, throughout the industry so far, but right now yet Kyber Ruiz at pick 160. Alejandro Kirk, I picked 242. People love Kirk. I love Kirk. The dude can hit. I have my thoughts on him, but uh, and I've already talked about my thoughts for Kyber Ruiz. So if you had to pick between these two guys at their cost, Toby, which one would you prefer? At their cost? Um, I would probably go with Ruiz. I'd probably go with Kyber Ruiz. Um, I mean, I think the thing with Kirk is the playing time is a major question for me. Like I'd almost rather have Danny Jansen, honestly, um, who I think does a lot of similar things, like doesn't have the same batting average, but um, maybe probably hits for a little bit more power um, at this point. Um, and then, I mean, I do think that, you know, there's a lot of rumors about Kirk potentially being traded. Yep. Um, so that's a thing. But for right now, like I've kind of not gone after Kirk. And that's probably a mistake because if he were a starter somewhere, he'd probably push up you know, much further than this, but 
for me right now, I'd rather have Ruiz. I think Ruiz um, is a better is a better hitter, and I think yeah, I just I like the profile a little bit more than I like for Kirk as well as like the playing time because I don't think the Nats really have a reason not to try to get the most out of him. Yeah, that's my biggest thing. A, I love Ruiz. Talked about why the hit tool, the average, all that. But the biggest thing with Kirk, who I'm a big fan of as well, I think his hit tool is outstanding. Um, it's playing time. They like you mentioned, Danny Jansen, who's the better defensive catcher. So they've you know they got all these good pitchers up there. They probably want a good defender back there. They're not lacking for offense. They can kind of substitute you know, a spot in the lineup to play better defense, still score runs, and that that's hindered Kirk in years past. That's that's kind of stopped them from getting everyday jobs. And they still have Reese McGuire too. Like they have multiple catchers there. I'm not saying McGuire will play over Kirk, but they have all these options, mouth to feed type situation. Uh, if Kirk got traded, that'd be tremendous. I think I saw a, a tweet today uh, about uh, Kevin Goldstein, who does a podcast for Fangraphs, who I try to listen to when I can. I've just got so many podcasts to listen to. But he said for his last three years with the Astros, he tried to trade for Kirk each year because Kirk is that good, but the Jays would not trade him. So mm. the talent's there. It's just uh, the are the Jays going to let him run with it or not? That's the question. We know Ruiz will, so I'm going with Ruiz as well. But I think it's it's an interesting conversation because a lot of people love Alejandro Kirk. And just for a counter argument, if I were to look at just solely at my spreadsheet, um, Ruiz is uh, is it has a nine position uh, value. He's ranked 150th, ADP of 159. Kirk is ranked 169th, so slightly behind Ruiz but at a 232 ADP, so 63 spots in terms of the value there. So, yeah, I mean, that's um, – Steamer would say you should take Kirk. Well, And that's only with – but it's only with 300 – what are they projecting him for? 334 plate appearances. So, yeah. And uh, I think I, I'd have to go back and look, but the FPAS draft, I'm pretty sure I have Kirk and Ruiz. So, oh, yeah, man. got that going That's forward. a low-key low – key, uh, yeah. Got a bad average yeah. situation there. Um, the next ADP debate, I think we'll have better ADP debates at other positions. Like I try to like space them out. There's only so much you can do at catcher. Um, Christian Vasquez at pick 224 plays every day, nothing too flashy. Uh, versus Elias Diaz at pick 260. Mm, this is a tough one. I yep. feel like I have a bias against Vasquez. It, though. Yep. Yeah. Um, I was going to just start and pencil it in. That's the thing. He's going to play almost every day. I like Diaz too. I like Diaz too, but I bring it up for the fact that Vasquez will probably play like four out of every five days at least. And if he somehow gets closer to that one big season, not the whole way, it's much more interesting. And he runs. He yeah, runs. He runs. He runs. The power is so minimal, though. I yes, mean, he's, he is. had those couple seasons, right? Yeah. But if you look at where, like last year, you know, 10 barrels, 2.6% barrels. He had the six home runs. Um, you know, he's got 4.6 and a 5.2, but everything is under 2% barrel rate before then. So, and then Diaz, Elias Diaz. So Steamer would say you should take Diaz. It likes Diaz more. Um, yeah, 265, the 11 home runs. The stolen bases are definitely something. I think even Steamer's projection for Diaz is a little low on the run and RBI front. But 
yeah, it's 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 interesting. I mean, it's a good it's a good comp. It's there. It's a really good question, Bubba. Thanks for putting it. A difficult question out there that i can't answer uh, i put it out there because i figure at least just even even this discussion at least make people think about it because it's yeah. not as clear-cut as i think people think and the whole idea is to find different um draft buckets one could say to to, to go with things like if you miss out on player a well very similar options coming up over here like just so don't like totally change your strategy type situation um, the other one i have here is jacob stallings at pick 341 tucker barnhart at pick 373 the only reason why I mention these two is it's nothing flashy. Because you love Tucker Barnhart. That's and I like Jacob Stallings, it. too. Like, I've had him, like, at uh, last year's draft and holds, I had him as, like, my catcher three everywhere. The reason I mention both of them is they go super late, but they're both the starters. Like, they're going to get you at bats. So, if you say you're a, if you're a punt catcher person, which some people are, I guarantee you they're rostering probably one of these two guys. So, if you had to pick between the two, who do you got? Uh, Stallings. Yeah. I don't think he's, I don't think it's that's cl that close either. Um, right. I really like Stallings. I mean, he's got a really good plate approach, you know, the batting average isn't that high, but like, he's just, he's similar to, uh, to Yachty. I feel like he's just like 240, yeah. 250, 10 home runs, 50, 50. Yeah. So I think he's really good. Barnhart, man, he's just, um, his blah. <laughs> and he's like i just don't really see the possibility for something more uh, with him but the one, the one yeah, i don't really see know. the same for for stallings if, the thing with stallings he's a great defender that's why they traded for him to begin with like yeah. that's the biggest reason they traded for him like you know we want this guy to anchor this young pitching staff um the the other part of me though is like i love nick fortes and his bat there i want him to to hit over stallings I just don't think it's going to happen. That's the unfortunate part of the whole thing. Yeah. So we'll see. Good but, questions. Good debate. Yeah. We'll have some more fun ones next week for sure. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely get in some good ones at the first base position, but for now, listener questions and you guys came through in a big way yet again. Uh, so let's kick things off here with John Paca. He asks um, draft champions, favorite catchers twos to target. Uh, I think we kind of went over those for the most part. Um, I'd say yeah. uh, Diaz. Yeah, Diaz. There, there's a yeah. There's a pocket of them. There's Narvaez, Kelly, Molina, Stasi, yeah. Jansen, and Diaz. Yeah. And I think in that group, I think whichever one kind of falls down, I'm fine with. Yeah, I'd say it's like if you just look at ADP for the last month, go from like pick 15 to like say pick 22, 23. Make sure you get one of those guys as your catcher too before you walk away. <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to drop off quickly. So, like Diaz is the obvious choice for me, but I don't mind some of those other buttons that uh, Toby mentioned as well. Um, latest catcher you'd be comfortable targeting? Probably one of those guys we mentioned is kind of the thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when I was in a position where I I had my catcher one already, um, and then I had to get my catcher two. I had Contreras, and I had to get my catcher two. I just waited and then. Carson Kelly was the last of that group that was available, and, and that's why I drafted. I mean, James McCann isn't isn't a bad not just because he'll, he'll play. So yeah, he'll play. Like, exactly. He'll play. Even and, Stallings, Stallings, I'd say is like the end of where I because he'll hit for average. He's not going to have much power at all. He'll hit for average. So um, those would be like the latest targets. Obviously, you'll have to go later to fill out more of your roster. But as your catcher too, that's kind of where we 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 stop the line. Um, and then his other question is, would you rather have Gary Sanchez or, or just use a red cone? Sometimes red the red cone. cone produces more. 
nicest thing I can say. Like Gary Sanchez, what what has happened to ye? That's all I want to know. It's sad. Um, Drew Fru underscore Dorte asks, which late round option do you like as a breakout for playing time skills growth, i.e. the twenty twenty two version of twenty twenty one Omar Narvaez or Carson Kelly? So who's the guy this year you think takes that uh, breakout? Um, <laughs> it's tough it's tough going i mean Kirk played every day i'd say him but yeah i mean the thing about like i mean narvaez was good he just wasn't good in 2020 he was good before yeah. then i just kind of write off that year a little bit but like it's tough to really count that year to me but yeah i mean a guy who takes that next step I got my guy. If he's healthy. I'm trying to think of like a new one for why they do that. I mean, Dan, Danny Jansen. We've been pounding that drum for a few years. Hopefully it'd be nice if it finally happened. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, yeah. Jonah Heim is, if he he's were to get playing, playing time, yeah. I think he has a really nice, nice kind of plate approach and stuff like that. So. I'll throw those couple names at who you got, who you got for me. Um, the main one I like, he's going probably higher than this this ruling would go, but I'm a huge Max Stassi believer, like really mm-hmm. am. His biggest thing is he just can't stay healthy. Like if you go back to his his like batted ball quality and stuff, it's ridiculous for what he can do. So he's he's darn near elite in a lot of those categories, not named Salvador Perez. He's got crazy power. That lineup's to be pretty good this year. Strikes out way too much. Strikes out too much, and he's hurt a lot. So if he can make a couple tweaks, I think he can definitely take another step. That'd be a fun one to watch. But if you want to go kind of later, kind of like you're talking about with Jonah Heim, who I think is a, is a very good call if he can get playing time, I think he's definitely in play. Uh, the one for me is Francisco Mejia of the Tampa Bay mm-hmm. Rays. Um, his, he's one. got a hit tool. That's the thing with him is, you know, Zunino's fun and all, but these guys literally split games pretty much, like literally split – like played 90-ish or 80, 80 to 90 games each, give or take, between DH and catching. So um, And Zanino hit a ton of bombs, but then he also didn't hit for average at all. So if those bombs disappear, he's in trouble. Um, where Mejia will hit for a much better average, and I think the power is still coming with him. He's still young, and he's shown that pedigree before. At worst, hits for a good average, and he'll hit behind guys like Brandon Lau and uh, Rosarena and Franco and all those guys. So he'll have chances to drive guys in. So I think Mejia could be one you could look at later on. That could be quite intriguing in drafts. All right. Uh, the next question we have here from our buddy Mike Carter, the doc. Uh, go check out his latest uh, relief pitcher article over at Roto Fanatic. That'll be a good one to check out. Um, what do you <laughs> – oops. What do you make of Mike Zanino? <laughs> um, he had a great year last year, not drafting him this year. Yeah, he's tough, especially in an – in an overall competition um, last year. Yeah. He had a 30.3% home run per fly ball rate, which is very unsustainable. And like Bubba mentioned, like he has such an extreme fly ball rate and infield fly ball rate that if those home runs disappear, they're going to be outs. And then you're looking at a guy who again is hitting like 160, 170. It's just stay away from it. This happened once before this happened once before. Um, in 2017 and everybody bought in the next year and he became the same guy. He's the same guy, um, which, you know, is totally serviceable in real life, but is not in <clears throat> fantasy life. Yep. That's my biggest problem. Like he's fun. He's a great streamer. He's a great catching streamer, 
problem is, is he's going to get drafted this year. In years past, he did not. So it just makes it tricky. Uh, Aaron R., he asks, uh, who are your favorite late-round catchers to target? Kind of mentioned those already. So I think you're good to go there, Mr. Aaron R. Um, Whole Camels at Daily underscore Phil asks, will Kyber Ruiz be a top-10 catcher this year? I say yes. I have him ranked at seven already. I'm biased. Um, Steamer thinks so, too. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They have him as the eighth catcher. I don't think that's too much to ask. Yeah, he's ADP eight right now. I think as long as he still gets the pretty much the like majority of the job, like he should, I think he will be. Like the power will get there. He's shown it at times in the minors, and the hit tool is too good, too good. And now you get to go hang out with Juan Soto to teach you a better hit tool. Like kid's gonna be good, like really good. So big fan. Uh, ben Tid, our buddy at Breaking Ben underscore T, says, "Could Will Smith be Salvi Light if the NL gets the DH? He could. I don't think he will be, but he could. I, I don't disagree with that. I." The Dodgers, we talked about it before, they use that DH to give guys days off, not to pinpoint a guy there. That's the problem. Yeah, I mean, he he's not close to the talent level that Salvi is. Salvi's a unicorn. And, um, well, okay, sorry, I'll let you finish. Sorry. I was just going to say, like, the batted ball quality is so much better, you know, from a barrel rate to the max exit velo, just uniquely amazing so i don't i don't think so but 600 plate appearances sure like 85 85 20 uh, 30 home runs something like that 250 batting average well, let me yeah. pull steamer 600 back up here real quick just Ooh, for fun uh steamer, will smith let's see how i did will smith has 23 home runs where uh where's our buddy salvi at he's not near did i I not see Salvador Perez. He's just too good over 600 plate appearances. He's not he even just, on the main page here. But they have good. they have Will Smith at 23 homers, hitting 247, two stolen bases. So good year. Um, they also have at Steamer 600. They have okay, Salvi's got 27 homers, hitting 260. So he still he still got him a bit to say the least. Um, and the other thing I'll say is the DH is a fun idea. With um, Max Muncie not elected to have surgery, he might DH all season. So keep that in mind because you can hit with a torn UCL. Playing the field outside of first base, per se, a little different. So you'll have to kind of wait and see how that one plays out. Uh, Nick at Biscardi 17 asks, I took JTR at the end of round five of my first DC 50. Please provide confirmation bias. I think we're both good with that. Uh, that's um, great. Yeah, he says, somewhat kidding aside, I think discussing the NL catchers, that would be a boost from DH is a great topic. Um, yeah, I think we talked about it before, but it's pretty much JT, obviously. That's a, that's a given. Yeah. Will Smith, we just kind of hit on, would be one. I, th- I think we both mentioned Darno to be a, a nice one as well. Varsho. Uh, Varsho, Con- Wilson Contreras. Like, Wilson Contreras. I think the elite catchers will all get uh, a bump. The Jacob Stallings of the world will not. Like, they're just who they are. But um, like I wouldn't even give like Elias Diaz a big bump. I think when he's not catching, he gets the day off. Like they put someone else in there. I'd say it's the top five or six nationally catchers who get a bump. That'd be kind of my just estimate off the top of my head. So yeah, it's I think it's because the National League, the American League has DHs. National League does not. So I think it's going to be more like we saw with the Dodgers, like guys get days off situation, than just like they already put our catcher there. See what happens. So little tricky. 
Uh, our buddy MS at SMMS79 asks, can Grandal come close to repeat performance? Is he the top catcher in an OBP format? My SGP sheet says it's a worthy conversation, pulling off streamer projections. So yeah, I think he could. I think we're both big fans of his and definitely one of the best, if not the best, in OBP, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think he can do something similar with lower, l- fewer home runs. He got a little lucky on the home run department. And one thing to monitor, though, is that um, Sal Perez started walking in the second yes. half. Yep. Let's see. What do you have? What was his walk rate in the second half? Let me check this out. Oh, that's not what I wanted. Uh, I just want that. Uh, his walk rate in the second half was 6.6%. And the K rate was 23.8%. So, pretty elite, pretty elite yeah, for 334 OBP for Sal. That's not too shabby at all. Uh, and then our last question here is from Carter Gill. He asks, is Haas going to get 400 at-bats? If he does, I think he's a great pick right now, but I don't I, – I can't say he will. Yeah, I don't I don't think so because I think they want to be good Yeah. next year. Um, let's see just really quickly. Well, with the additions they've made, it's like Haas could DH. Well, now I think Miggy DH is in it and Scope plays more first base. And then, it's like, do you play Haas in the outfield? They got guys that can play the outfield, some young guys. It's – it's trickier than it was last year. Like a few injuries could change all that, hundred percent. Yeah, but I think the hit tool is awesome. It's just a, a tough one to to get behind. Yeah, I mean, it definitely could be interesting if like Haas, you know, plays outfield against righties, you know, for Badu, yep. and then um, and then catches, you know, every three days. So yep. that could definitely be interesting. I think the challenge is like if they really want to be competitive, then you know, they're, they're, they're going to need to improve some of those spots. Yeah. You know, they got bias, but you know, it's like, Badu, depending on what you, you know, feel about how well he's going to do, he has horrendous uh, platoon splits. And I know it's like too early to determine whether he's got those or not, but just something to be considerate of. Robbie Grossman's great. Baez is good. Candelario's good. Scope's good. Miggy at DH. Torkelson, great you know, but like Victor Reyes in center field. So I feel like they've still got a couple guys to add that they will add. Um, and then I think it gets a little bit more bleak for Haas because my guess is he's not, he's not very good defensively. He's not, he's not like they, they don't want to have to put him out. Like last year was in a more of a necessity than a want situation. Plus he was crushing baseball. Like they had to find a spot for yeah, him at some yeah. point in time. Um, I think they'd rather have some of their prospects get a chance, maybe sign a guy. Like, there's a good corner outfielders out there. Go get an Eddie Rosario. Go get like there's a lot of options out there to fill. Like, I think it was I can't remember what website posted it. Um, the list of free agent slash potential trade targets for corner outfielders it is loaded, absolutely mm-hmm. loaded. So, like, you shouldn't really be forced into going and starting an Eric Haas in left field if you have to type situation. So, My boy Eddie Rosario, for yeah, instance, I think who I just drafted, and I there didn't like go. the pick, but there I love him. You would you wouldn't have drafted him if you didn't have to wait four hours on Michael Simeon. So, oh man, it was a different draft. It was a different draft. Oh, I wish sorry. I could. I wish I could. Play still him more. Out. Still fun to make fun of him. We but, love you, uh, Michael. I'm just giving you a hard time. 
just making sure I use my bully pulpit to bring others down. That's all. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so everybody pictures you as the bully pulpit guy. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, and on that note, we're going to end your favorite podcast of the year, Toby. I'm sorry, but catcher preview Oof. is in the books. Uh, final thoughts on the position that is fun. It's like, it feels like it's getting deeper and deeper every year, which is pretty crazy to say. I mean, it feels like a whirlwind of emotions. This podcast has been, I fell <laughs> out of love with JTR. I fell back in love with him. I fell back in love with his twin Dalton bar show. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a lot of really good options. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I came in and I said my strategy is going to be a little bit different is because I feel like there are some pretty consistent performers and some really good values late that, or perceived values, I should say, late that that I don't mind having that where the profile is solid enough, like like a Carson Kelly, or is that, that's his name, right? Yeah. yeah, like Carson Kelly, like whenever he's been healthy, he's he's actually been pretty good outside of like a small window of time. Like he's he's a pretty good player. And so, you know, having that guy and Yadi Molina and Omar Novaez and Elias Diaz and all those guys kind of at the back end there that I think can either can be solid enough and have a little bit of upside, I think changes things a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. And I'm curious to see how the landscape changes with whatever CBA news we get and just more drafting going on because um it, it, there's like the three guys that go in the top 60 ish give or take and there's another group for like the next like 90 to 120 and then and then it gets really kind of thick later on with with options so i'm curious to see if you know maybe the var show gets moved up more towards the will smith range like it's, it's it'll be interesting to see how things kind of play out as draft season goes along but we'll keep you posted on all that and more on the wonderful love and the bat flip podcast and next week we'll have first base to preview for you which will be tons and tons of fun uh, Vlad Sedler put out an interesting tweet on four first base guys to potentially take, which we'll talk about all of them because they're ADP like four through eight or something. So we'll hit them up next week. But uh, until next time, check out Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm at BDNTrick. This was Bub and the BatFlip episode 109. Catch you guys next time. That's going to wrap us up for episode number 205 and edition number 109 of the Batflip Crazy podcast. Thank you all so much for uh, listening. Uh, please let us know what you think about these preview podcasts. Is the format helpful? It's similar to what we did last year. We try to cover as much as ground possible, but with the amount of time I take talking about each, uh, each of the players, we would go on forever if we covered every single um, guy. So... Um, again, we'll always cover the top 10, and then we'll pick a couple from 10 to 20, and then we'll choose our late-round targets. But if you want us to talk about a specific player, just hit us up with a question uh, leading up to the pod, and we are happy to to uh, handle it during the podcast. Uh, but, yeah, thanks so much for listening. Best of luck with all of your fantasy baseball drafts. Take care, and be kind to one another. <laughs>